0: Justice, vengeance, and the desperate need for freedom from oppression come head to head when an ancient champion returns to a world still subjugated by evil. Are you just watching? Episode 134, Black Adam. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: And we decided to try a different superhero genre, (laughs) possibly slightly, well, different. I I think different's probably a good word from Marvel.
1: Yeah, anyway, away from the weirdness at marvel's become.
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know that we've actually recorded on have we done a dc movie before i was trying to think we skipped over i don't think so wonder woman and i don't think we've done any i think daniel did one on one of the original batman movies but it's been a while like i don't know anyway it's been a yeah. very long time if we have I don't done think DC. you and i
1: have definitely
0: yeah i know we've skipped over i We had thought about doing the original Wonder Woman when it came out, but it didn't fit into our schedule, and so we didn't get to it. And nothing else has really, you know, connected with me. I haven't seen all of the DC movies. I've seen some of them usually long after they've been in the theaters. So this Mm. is the first one other than Wonder Woman that I have gone to see in the theater. So we were trying to come up with something other than something Marvel, for November and this one actually has some, some good things to discuss maybe a slightly different angle on Hero which we've yeah. talked a lot about Heroes in the past but overall first impression of the movie was that it was watchable and it was enjoyable and unlike a lot of the other DC movies it doesn't take itself too seriously there was some good humor in it possibly that's because of some of the actors that were involved I don't know. The soundtrack is by Lauren Bauf. I think I sang his name right. I always say that when some of these composers, they should have like easy to pronounce names, like John Williams. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. There will never be another John Williams.
0: <laughs> yeah. But Lord Balf also did a couple other scores for movies that we've reviewed. His stuff is tends to be a bit of a crossover. It usually has a a bit of a rock sound to him, but it's still a symphonic score, and so there, it's a nice crossover and. This one, it was a little bit repetitive theme-wise, but it definitely fit the movie, and I will play a little bit of it here for you.
1: You know, I thought it was... (sighs) I don't want to say uninspired, but that's some that's what comes to mind. I mean, it was good. But yeah. it's not one that I would go and listen to after the movie that I would have on while I was doing chores or something. Yeah. I I don't know if that makes sense. It it was it was appropriate but not great.
0: Yeah. It's something that I enjoy listening to for a little bit. I you know, I kind of put it on while I was prepping for this and you know, like I said, it's got some repetitive themes in it, which, you know, if you have just the one theme and you repeat it in every piece, that like gets old mm-hmm. after a while. It's like you just pick one of the best pieces out of it and just keep that instead of the whole score, because they all sound alike.
1: Balfe did Top Gun Maverick mm-hmm. and Black Widow. He com- yeah. he was composer for both.
0: That was two that we did this year, but I think there was one previous, but I don't remember.
1: Gemini Man?
0: Yeah, Gemini Man. That was it. That was the one I was thinking of. Anyway, so for a DC movie, I think it it was good. <laughs> That's kind of setting the bar. It's like, for <laughs> a DC movie, it was good. Uh, <laughs> i really enjoyed the cast on this one. And r- really funny thing is, is that other than The Rock, I hadn't really paid attention to who was in it until I went to see it in the theater. And of course, when Aldous Hodge came on screen, I'm like, <gasps>
1: leverage. <laughs>
0: He's forever going to be branded as the hacker in my mind. Every time I see him, I think of Love yeah. Leverage. So
1: yeah. my
0: favorite TV show. I've watched that show so many times, I think I have the episodes memorized.
1: <laughs> I enjoy Aldous Hodge, too.
0: mm mm-hmm. Well, I, I just kept expecting him to put on some kind of Arabic or British accent and start hacking a computer. That's. I mean, yeah. he's so branded in my <laughs> mind as, as that character that every time I see him, I just think of the hacker in Leverage. I, I just, yeah. Oh, and he put at, on so many different personas.
1: Looking at his IMDb, he's coming up in a series of uh, James Patterson's Alex Cross novels as Alex Cross. That should be good. Hmm. He'll make a good Alex Cross.
0: Yeah, he's a fabulous actor. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's, you know, I think he got his start in the leverage maybe, but that's I think that I that's one in, of the yeah. things that really showed – yeah, that he had such a range, because he could just, he could put on accents, he could put on attitudes and just become anybody. And, and I think that that show really demonstrated his range as an actor, in addition to typecasting him as that <laughs> actor in leverage. But anyway, the other actor that's in this movie that was a little bit of a shock to me was Pierce Brosnan, who is one of my favorite British actors, dating all the way back to...
1: Remington Steele. Remington yeah. Steele. yeah.
0: yeah. That was, I think, where he got his start was in Remington Steele. But I always thought when I saw him in Remington Steele, he has to be James Bond. He has to be James Bond. Eventually, they let him be James Bond. But now he's kind of showing his age a little bit. And it was really a shock to me seeing him play an old man you know, in this movie. So I was like, wait, is he old? <laughs> I
1: actually was really reminded of Sean Connery when I was watching yeah. Piers Brosnan. And I was like, this is an old Bond. Yeah. Because, you know, Piers Brosnan and Sean Connery are the two, you know, images I have in my head of James Bond.
0: Right, yeah.
1: But Brosnan can still pull it off. I enjoyed his performance, Oh, yeah.
0: Yes, he, I think, to be honest, as the the old man in the Justice League, I think he really fulfilled his role quite well in this movie. And it was good to see the star Mm -hmm. power in the DC movie genre. I, I appreciated it. The weird thing... Was that as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking it's like there's such a crossover between the (laughs) the uh, superheroes between Marvel and DC. It's almost like they were copying each other because sure they were. (laughs) Yeah, Doctor Fate and Doctor Strange are practically the same character. I mean, not Mm -hmm. quite the same, but they both can see into the future. And and then um, Hawkman and Falcon are both flying characters. And then like Atom Smasher is like Ant Man big. And I mean, it's like, that. that's really all they are. It's like they have a suit that makes them really big. <laughs> I I really haven't delved much into DC beyond Batman and Superman or Wonder Woman. I mean, those are like the three that I know and everything else is- The core. Yeah. I mean, those were the ones I grew up with was, you know, what the Wonder Woman TV show and the Superman movies. And, you know, that's that's just what I know from DC. So yeah. Yeah. It is what it is.
1: But. I think you're probably not alone in that either. Yeah. I was the same way. I knew who was in the movie because, you know, I recognized them from the trailers. I knew it was a rock movie, a Dwayne Johnson movie, of course. It was one of the draws for me because I'm a a fan of Dwayne Johnson. But, you know, the weird part is, I thought he was actually one of the weaker elements of Black Adam. But I, I don't know that it was his Performance maybe, as much as the direction that he was under? Honestly, I, I probably will never know. It sort of bugged me, though, that aside from one real little bit at the very beginning when you're first introduced to Teth Adam, he essentially plays a slightly different version of himself. There's no cultural aspect to the character that he's playing you you look at what he was before he gained the power of shazam
0: and there was a different actor playing him yeah. a, before he he was
1: but you don't really see any any tie in i mean it it's understandable that he becomes this sort of vengeance personified, but you don't really see any element of the subjugated person that he was beforehand and on top of that aside from where he speaks ancient kandaki and one line in the very beginning the rest of the time he speaks perfect english no (laughs) accent yeah and it his inflection everything is exactly like dwayne johnson which is good enough but i would have liked to seen him stretch his acting chops on this stroll i think it was an opportunity missed Uh, At least I hope it was an opportunity missed that they didn't try it and say, oh, no, no, no. Let's go back to uh, how we were before.
0: You know, in the Jungle Cruise, he plays an an ancient as well who is.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Who doesn't really have much dimension that shows how old he is. Except
1: he lived through all that time, though. So I sort of wrote it off. But it's a good point. Yeah.
0: Yeah, maybe he's just not capable of doing accents like some other actors can where he could just create a persona and stick with it. Yeah, I mean, not we, we, not all actors can do that.
1: We got to remember that he's not exactly classically trained. He sort of fell into the acting role. Yeah. After he started in wrestling. And he still does sort I guess he still goes back and does wrestling appearances, right?
0: I don't know. I don't follow his career that closely. Yeah.
1: It's I always thought he had great comic timing. And uh, he did it well in Jungle Cruise. Mm -hmm. There were a couple times he did it here, too, but it it was sort of disjointed for me.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this movie did have several pretty blatant flaws. I was reading out, you know, like there's a crown in there that's made of of a stone that is supposedly, you know, this horrible, you know, powerful thing. And yet they juggle it and carry it around like it's made out of aluminum. and. Yeah. You know, play with it.
1: The brother is wearing it at one point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, what? So this like ancient artifact is supposed to be like powerful and make you into a god. And yet they're playing with it like.
1: Right. And and two of their people were literally just killed in their effort to retrieve it. And this guy's sitting on the couch watching a Western with the crown on.
0: Yeah. Or the girl and the little kid carried around in their backpack as if it weighs nothing. So yeah. yeah, there's definitely some storytelling flaws, I think, in the movie. And I don- I'm i not exactly sure whether it's just one of those, you're just supposed to suspend your disbelief and enjoy the movie. And, and for the most part, I was capable of doing that because it moved along fast enough that yeah. you didn't stop and dwell on some of that stuff. But Yep. And I think you brought up one in your in your viewing notes about there's a scene where the little boy is stuffed in these like air speeder bikes or whatever yeah. and carried yeah, was- all over everywhere and then the end they just open it and he's fine, you know, and it's like okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean it's just like some of these little, you know, attentions to detail that they could have had that would have just I think put the movie up another notch in yeah, in its believability. But other than that, I mean Overall, the action was good.
1: Pacing was good too. The yeah. pacing
0: was good. The humor was good. There's some of the things obviously that we're going to get into when we discuss themes that I think could be marked against the movie as well. But we're going to leave that for the theme discussion.
1: Mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that it actually asks the questions. You know, it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just gloss them over like um, many of the superhero movies do and uh, it gives us the opportunity to discuss them. So I think it serves a good purpose there at the minimum. Uh, And I really, I I came out of this one sort of excited about, you know, what we would be able to discuss.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got to see it first. We were originally going to have you watch it and see whether it was worth seeing. And then I had a friend on my trip. Yeah. A friend suggests that I, I go see it with her and I'm, was willing to spend the money and enjoy it, whether or not I knew we were going to record on it or not, which is not always the case when I go see a movie. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that I thought was really interesting, and there's very few movies that do this, is they didn't actually have a title in the movie. It just throws you into the origin of Teth Adam, and then you go start in the movie and there's no title, and Mm. you go all the way through the movie until the end, and they throw the the title up at the end of the movie when he chooses his new name because he's teth adam through the whole movie and he chooses black adam as his new name and that's when they throw the title up which i thought was really interesting and i don't think that i mean we're just so used to seeing titles at the beginning i think most people didn't even notice that that there was no title at the beginning of the movie yeah i don't think i did yeah, I thought that was pretty fascinating that, that you could get away with that literally showing an entire movie without ever putting the title up. <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. I think I, I there's something nagging at the back of my mind that there was another movie that did that, but I, I can't think of what what it was. But huh. it seems to me that this was not the first movie to to not have a title at the beginning. Anyway, I th- think we can move on. Uh, from First Impressions, but before we do, I do want to remind you to please support our podcast. Are You Just Watching? Is Listener Supported? We have our current patrons, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, David Lefton, and Peter Chapman, who give to us $5 or more on a monthly basis, and we really appreciate their support that helps pay for our web fees and hosting and all of that kind of stuff, and we just really appreciate that support. If someday we have enough support, maybe we can start having swag. I've always wanted to do swag. Wouldn't swag it be cool, would be cool. You
1: know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know what kind of swag people like, like whether they like t-shirts or pins or keychains or whatever. But I've always thought having swag would be really cool. But right now we don't.
1: Motorcycles. <laughs>
0: We don't want to spend our patron support frivolously, so we don't do that right. kind of thing. But you can be- also become a supporter of our podcast by going to com slash Patreon or <laughs> patreon.com slash watching. Either one. they'll They'll take you to the same place. And we appreciate your support. We really do. Okay, so I would say there's just one giant overarching theme.
1: Yeah, uh, it, in this movie, this one was a tough one to break down. <laughs> yeah,
0: we had it like set in our outline as like three different ones, and it just kind of merged into one. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very interesting because Teth Adam, the way they introduce him in the movie, he's introduced as a champion hero who saves his people from oppression of a mm-hmm. dictator king who has basically had turned his people into slaves, and they cried out for. Redemption, you know, to be free, very much like the people of Israel did under Egypt. It's like, please say, you know, God send us a rescue. Yeah. And Black Adam is not necessarily the gods who gave it. It was more like they said it was like a circle of powerful wizards or something like that.
1: The Council of Wizards. They were in Shazam, too, by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, Shazam is, ba- he's, Black Adam is basically the ancient Shazam.
1: So. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, so he's the first Shazam. So he's given these powers in order to rescue his people and I'm trying to figure out whether we ruin the movie or not. Yeah, but let's
1: See if we can avoid... Oh, yeah. oh boy. <laughs> that's going to be hard. So maybe we should give a spoiler warning here. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it... <laughs>
0: We're going to <yeah>. spoil it.
1: <laughs> Stop Sorry. here if you don't want a spoiler.
0: <laughs> so the Teth Adam that's Woken in the future or the the present is actually not the original champion hero. It was actually his son who was the champion hero. And the, the origin story, you know, makes you think that it's the son all along. You don't realize that it's actually the father who you're dealing with in the present until pretty close to the end of the movie where he admits that it was his son gave him the powers to keep him from dying and then was killed himself. So, And then obviously the big showdown, the big final battle was because he was mad that his son had been killed, his innocent, beautiful son who had been the proper champion to his people. And so everything he did was out of vengeance. So I just spoiled the whole movie. Sorry. Yep. But it's important because the concept there was it was originally, Teth Adam was originally supposed to be a champion hero who was bringing justice onto his enslaved people. And instead they got Dwayne Johnson. No, No, they got a man who just was acting out of violence and vengeance. And, and what was shocking to me was that in, in the movie, you think because of the way he's introduced that he is a hero, but then when the justice league jumps in, they're not treating him as a hero. So, Mm -hmm. They're treating him as a villain. So I walked out of this movie going, okay, why did they just instantly assume when he woke up 5,000 years later that he was not a good guy?
1: Because the director told them he was a bad guy.
0: Yeah, because all of his legend was that he was there to save his people. So why -hmm. would the first assumption be when this guy woke up and suddenly wiped out an entire portion of the inner gang? You know... Their their initial assumption was that he was a bad guy who needed to be put down. And that was the the biggest shocking storyteller I don't want to call it an error or a fault, but that it felt like it to me. Like yeah. there was a leap of logic that I as a viewer, uninformed of the characters, did not follow.
1: You know, I, I think part of it you never saw the suicide squad movies, right? They were all mm-hmm. rated R. No. When we're first introduced to Hawkman in Black Adam, a character by the name of Waller is the one that gives him his instructions. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah. This lady. Yeah. The-
1: yeah. So she's from those other movies. Okay. She is a completely amoral, any means necessary, throw lives at the problem type of person. Hmm. So knowing that sort of sort of helps understand where that philosophy comes from. And I don't know a lot about Hawkman, but the few comics that I have read that he has been in, he does have that sort of very black and white, I'm right and you're wrong, and I'm right because I'm powerful type thing. And I want to say he's an alien in the comics. They never sort of talk about that here.
0: huh? Okay.
1: But uh, that's consistent with the characters as they have been established in the DCU. But you're right. If you come into this without a knowledge of those characters, it's completely the other way around.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just felt, it felt like a leap of logic. It's like if there's some you know country that's being subjugated and as the characters themselves say, pretty much ignored by the Justice League. You know, nobody's seeking justice on behalf of these oppressed people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they get a hero, why would the rest of the world immediately assume that that hero is a bad guy that must be stopped? Are they in bed with the inter-gang? Are they seeing the inter-gang as good guys? And so, therefore, anybody who is coming up yeah. against this organization must, therefore, be bad? I don't know. Waller's,
1: just- Waller's organization is, is in bed with an intergang like organization in one of the other movies. So it's completely consistent.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that would in in some ways make the Justice League bad guys in this movie. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of blurring of of who's the hero, who's the villain, mm-hmm. who's oppressed, who needs justice, and who's getting justice rightfully. And so it's definitely something we have to talk about, like, what is justice in this movie and and what does that look like?
1: Yeah. What is justice is really the main theme in the movie because the DC heroes, the, the I want to say the established DC heroes, but none of them have been in any of the other DC movies. Right. It's Hawkman, Dr. Faye, Adam Smasher, and Cyclone. They call themselves, uh, or rather they are part of the Justice Society of America, but it's clear – that when Hawkman is given this task by Waller at the very beginning, that he puts together a team from a much larger pool of available available heroes.
0: But they're almost like mercenaries for hire. You know, it's like they're not there for any particular reason other than here's a mission, go do something. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. It just felt weird.
1: You had mentioned earlier in the podcast about how there's – it seems like there's direct – Correlations between Doctor Strange and Doctor Fate, and you know, Adam Smasher and and Ant Man, and all that. Mm -hmm. This Waller character is almost identical to the character that Julia Louise Dreyfus is playing in the current phase of the MCU, Mm. um, where they are starting to use the superhero power to amoral purposes. Purposes, yeah. Yeah. Maybe good ends for the country but without any moral direction. So that's another correlation that we see between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. And I th- I think that's what we're seeing here is that Justice Society of America is an arm of you know for lack of a uh, actual organization named the CIA or some shady organization that uh that people in in the halls of power control but are not accountable for like tom cruise you know uh, yeah you you will be disavowed if you're caught
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's like what are those black op groups you know where
1: yeah, they're more the, like mercen- one the the shadowy group beyond Navy SEALs and yeah and Green Berets and all or that. not yeah.
0: maybe not even necessarily groups that are tied into the military, but they're like mercenary groups that like have very loose waters. loyalties. Yeah, very loose yeah. loyalties. Yeah, I was really thrown off balance by that whole immediate assumption that you know this is our mission. We're going to go stop this villain. We need to sell to hold him. Up until that point, I was not seeing Black Adam or Teth Adam, as as the case may be, as a villain. I was seeing him as a hero out of place and time so that he was confused and wasn't exactly sure where he was supposed to be pointed.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) But that didn't necessarily make him a villain. It was just that he was so extraordinarily powerful that if he saw an enemy, he didn't just fight them. He wiped them out. So,
1: yeah. And that was a dimension to his character that I really would have liked to have seen more development to. I mean, in his background as an oppressed slave, maybe he thought that, you know, overwhelming violence was really the only option. Yeah. Because that's all he experiences as a slave. It, there's a scene earlier on where we're led to believe that he. He champions this guy who found the eternium, you know, stone of eternium, and and brings him up to the garden and uh, argues for the reward, the promised reward. And the guard. And this is when of we course, think that he's
0: the son, not the father. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. The guard, of course, says, "Here's your reward from the king." Yeah. You know, when when you're raised in that kind of an environment, maybe that is the only path you see open to you. Yeah. I know we've talked about this part before, but it it seems like there are dimensions to the story that would have benefited more from a, a longer format storytelling, like a... Series. Series, yeah. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen it,
0: and you have to wonder what hit the cutting room floor, too, because this yeah, was a fairly exactly. long movie, and they may have had to cut something out that would have made more sense. It's like I was telling somebody the other day about the movie The Abyss that came out in the 90s, Oh, I remember I think. that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: The theatrical release was, it, it got horrible reviews because it had such a badly explained ending. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, and the aliens saved the day. And then you watch the director's cut.
1: Oh, that, I didn't know a director's cut came out.
0: No, there was a director's cut that added an hour to the movie. It was not based on a book, but the novelization of the movie was by Orson Scott Card. And he actually wrote the novelization based on the full script because the book had to be out before the final movie was edited. So, Oh, okay. His book actually follows the full story that is in the um, director's cut. So the book is much better. But the director's cut is like... Almost four hours, I think. It's like three and a half hours or something. It's massive. Like the Zack Snyder cut. Yeah, yeah. But it is so good. It's worth every second because, I mean, when you get to the ending, it made sense. And they cut out everything that made the ending make sense. And, and so I think sometimes when I see movies like this where the, it's the theatrical release and there's leaps of logic and things don't make sense, I always remember The Abyss. I'm like... They mm. must have cut out something integral to the story that made it make sense. And then they, they had to chop it out for time's sake or whatever. And then it ruined the movie, you know? Uh, so
1: I didn't know that about the abyss. I was thinking that one was based on the Crichton novel, but I think that was a different one.
0: No, 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 the abyss was not based on a book, but it did have a very good novelization. It's the only novelization that Orson Scott Card ever wrote. And the only reason he wrote it was because they gave him the power to develop the characters beyond the script,, huh. which was what's what makes it so good yeah <laughs> he he actually worked with the actors who were playing the characters and they developed f- full backstories for every character so that he could write them into the book and well, that's um, the. Yeah, they're not in the movie, but he has all this like backstory about the characters that's in the book. So I recommend both the director's cut and the novelization. They're both great, but don't watch, don't judge the movie based on the theatrical release because it was, the theatrical release was a bomb. But we're not talking about the abyss, though that one might be a good one to to discuss sometime if we're looking for something old to to do because that that was actually a really good movie. Back to justice. Justice. Yes. So.
1: The Justice Society of America, you know, they, they have justice in their name, so they must be good, right? Right. Um,
0: well, it's just like Antifa is like anti-fascist, but that doesn't necessarily make them good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah good point. <laughs> the people of Kandak, though, they see Teth Adam as a champion, like we talked. So the Justice Society and Teth Adam are coming at the idea of justice from two completely different sides. We we talked about how Hawkman has this really black and white view of uh, you're either a hero or a villain. There is no in-between. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it doesn't apply to anyone we have ever met in our entire lives. I don't So I don't know why he would think it applies to Teth Adam. Yeah. The people of Kandak see Teth Adam as a, a champion who's going to free them from oppression from this evil king. And the character Teth, in multiple like five or six ancient scripts, all mean good, mm, mm-hmm. and Adam is the you know the first man, so he is the good man in when he's called Teth Adam, right, so you know they really are expecting a good man as Teth Adam. Which may actually have applied to this guy's son. Right. He might have been the Teth Adam, but when the mantle of Shazam passed from his son to his father, and then his son was suddenly uh, killed while in his mortal form, Teth Adam no longer is the good man, but he becomes vengeance incarnate. And really, that's the link is he sees vengeance as justice. Right. Because of what he has been exposed to his entire life. Whereas the Justice League sees um control <laughs> as justice. They don't right. want this, this rogue superhero, superhuman, running around dispensing his own ideas of justice. Yeah. They want to control what heroism and what justice is. And... <clears throat> You know, Hawkman is 100% bought in to that idea. It really does raise a question.
0: Yeah, well, it was interesting because when, when they're first on the mission, they, they team up with um, Dr. Fate, is like the the voice of wisdom in the team because he is the old, mm-hmm. the older. And, and he makes that comment. He's like, you know, we don't really have much information about this guy. And, and uh, Hawkman's response is, well, he's bad. You know, yeah. so...
1: What more do you need to know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that, you know, that leap to conclusion, it could have been handled so much better because they come running in and into the middle of a situation and just try and just Mm -hmm. take on Teth Adam as if he is a villain they're trying to take down. If they had come in in a different manner and approached him in a different way. Yeah. You know, it's just like there wouldn't have been
1: much of a movie then.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: at one point Hawkman even says Neil. And <laughs> like what? What? <laughs> who who are you exactly? <laughs> but you know, Dr. Fate's response to Hawkman was I've seen so many futures, I don't deal in absolutes anymore. Yeah. And uh while, you know, philosophically not terribly sound. It does raise the point for this movie where it draws a contrast to Hawkman dealing in absolutes, black and white, but fate, the voice of wisdom, knows better. And Hawkman just completely, you know, disregards his his advice until the very end, which is sort of formulaic, (laughs) Yeah, not done poorly in Black Adam.
0: And the fact that, you know... The voice of wisdom gives his life, you know, in order to rectify, you know, to out, yeah. to honestly to prevent Hawkman's death. Mm-hmm. He intervenes in the only way he can see the will actually, in, in a way, it kind of reminds me of the way that Doctor Strange deals with things in Endgame. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's Another, like I see a future where this parallelism, parallel- yeah.
1: Yeah, and you know it, they they actually link the Black Adam and Hawkman characters at the very end with "I'm only here because of him," referring to Doctor Fate, mm-hmm. and Hawkman says that makes two of us. So they, they like I I mentioned, you know, it's a, a rather formulaic superhero movie, but the talent on the screen makes it enjoyable,
0: right. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's predictable, but you don't mind going along for the ride.
0: Yeah. It was fun to watch. I came out
1: of my first viewing really excited about one of the ideas for the topic, which, you know, ties into this justice thing. And the idea that I really wanted to touch on was the movie ends with the core tenet of their philosophy that justice often requires violence to be complete. And it points at the heroes who save the bad guys in order to prosecute and imprison them as being weak, being wusses, and they're uh, literally booed by the populace of Kadok. Mm -hmm. And then the guy who is literally the mass murderer is cheered because he's murdering for the people.
0: Right. Right.
1: So it raises the question, is, is violence sometimes necessary in order to do good? You know, it all just ties into what is justice. Is what Black Adam does, you know, with this shock and awe of yeah. the overwhelming power, is what he's doing
0: justice? Uh, yeah, I mean that's definitely the the question of the hour. And I think if you look back, like even at the American Revolution, we didn't just declare ourselves free and walk away free. We had to right. We had to fight for that. And I think that Teth Adam came out of a culture that had to fight for that freedom. I mean, if you're a slave. And, and even, I mean, if you look at the Exodus and what happened when the Israelites were guided away from Egypt by God, mm-hmm. God did the violence for them. I mean, the plagues and the, the death of the firstborn, th- these were not simple walks in the park. You know, these were really nasty things that happened in order to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. And that would be a similar culture to what, what we're seeing in Kundak with, with the original Teth Adam. So violence, in in a form, is a way of of breaking free, and so I can see it being a necessary step. Now, whether or not, if we're talking from a Christian worldview, whether or not it is a Christian response is another question. Because oh yeah, there's you, you end up with a completely different angle on that. I know Christians who believe that the our founding fathers were wrong to revolt against England. Because it was, it was a step of violence and, and resistance that, you know, Jesus taught us to respect our, our governments yeah. even when they're oppressive. And so, you know, I guess it just kind of depends on your perspective as to whether violence is ever truly necessary uh, in order mm-hmm. to make justice happen.
1: There's some really fascinating writing out there on the, the different positions uh of uh, the american revolution by some great theologians on both sides
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: it's not a cut and dry issue by any stretch of the I imagination i think it's
0: going to be a question that we'll have to ask jesus when we get to heaven because i honestly yeah, don't absolutely. know i don't know that we can ever come to agreement on that on this side of of eternity i think it's just going to be you know what did you mean by you know submit to your government does that mean that when the government is telling us how and when to worship and and what to worship, that um, we're we're not allowed to seek freedom from that, you know. We see the children of Israel, you know, being carried away into exile and standing up in a passive way against uh, being told who and what to worship and when. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think it's a it's a fact, like you said. There's a a huge discussion on that, but from a secular standpoint. I think that and, and it's really hard to separate the secular from the religious because, as Christians faith should dictate how we react in every circumstance, whether it's secular or not,
1: yeah well it's part of part of what makes us makes it hard to be a christian, right
0: yeah, um, yeah.
1: our our gut response is to fight back,
0: yeah, and God didn't tell us to fight back, he didn't tell us. That we would ever be safe and and have justice in this life—that that's our promise for eternity—and boy, does that make it hard.
1: Yeah, you look at uh, something like you know Fox's Book of Martyrs, mm-hmm. and these are people who literally walked into the jaws of death in order to represent their faith in God. Mm-hmm. So you sort of got to question: and am I right to? Attack the mugger who's beating up on that person over there or, you know, as a superhero, I'm, do I have the, the right to kill them or whatever? It's It really is one of the the hardest theological questions that we face as Christians because we live in a fallen world.
0: Do we keep a gun in the house to, to shoot at somebody who breaks into our home at three yeah, in the morning?
1: Exactly. exactly. To save it, our kids. Yeah. Everybody's got to find their own answer to it. Preferably in scripture. Right. <laughs> you know, if, if you're a Christian and you can adequately point to scripture to justify your position in a way that's consistent with, uh, you know, cr- the, the intent of scripture, cause, you know, there's always people out there who are going to misuse scripture, that I can at least respect that you have thought it through and, be comforted knowing that when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, God will set us straight.
0: Yeah. At least our sins are forgiven.
1: <laughs> there there are so many things that I'm going to be so ashamed of. Yeah. But there will be one or two things that I will be wrong in, but not feel guilty because I I was wrong in a way that was meant to glorify god
0: yeah and i think you know we can start you know burrowing down and getting to some scripture on this but i think that yeah justice is there is no pure justice except god's justice i think that's what we come down to is that human justice is always flawed and so regardless of what side we come down on it's always a, a human spin on it and that human sin includes the sinful nature that we are as mankind. And so the only true justice is God's justice. And and that is the most painful justice because as sinners, we don't deserve Mm -hmm. anything good. We are blessed in that Jesus gave his life in atonement for the sins we have committed, but it is not from any act of our own that we deserve anything other than the most horrific justice from God because of our sin. And so we can only be thankful that Jesus took that penalty upon himself for us. And as we were discussing in church this morning, we're recording this on a Sunday evening, we were actually discussing, you know, about Jesus being on the cross and how uh, when God turned his face away from him, he's like, he cried out. He's like, why have you forsaken me? That that pain of having God turn away was more painful than the agony of dying on the cross. And yet he went into it willingly because, of you know, the prayer in the Garden of Mm -hmm. Gethsemane shows him weeping blood because of the amount of, I mean, the foreknowledge of knowing what he was about to go through, saying, God, if there's any way you can take this cup away but I will do it because it's your will. All of that with the knowledge of being God and at the same time as being man to be able to to know this was going to happen and, and then yeah. have it happen. And, and he did that all for our sake because we were sinners and there was nothing we can do as flawed and sinful human beings, there's nothing we can possibly do to bridge the gap between our sin and God's justice. There's just nothing, because his justice is perfect. And it's yeah. his justice that created a worldwide flood that wiped out every living thing except those on the ark, and it's his justice that will eventually destroy this world, and as we know it, and, and usher in a new – and a consummation era where – there's a new heaven and a new earth and and when you put that all into context, it's like, who are we <laughs> to even talk about justice because we yeah. just can't wrap our heads around it it's just it's something we toy with in in our culture, it's something we toy with in our government and and something that rips our people apart and we who are we to even understand it? We can't even comprehend it, yeah,
1: but yeah you're you're right. Let's we're getting a little <laughs> long in the tooth here. Yeah. So I I wanted to talk more about justice on a philosophical level too. Justice is a concept that is on two levels in the fallen world. It's it's uh it's on a governmental level and it's on a personal level. James Madison wrote in the Federalist Paper number fifty one, justice is the end of government. It is the end of civil society. It ever has been and ever will be pursued until it be obtained or until liberty be lost in the pursuit. And I think for me, at least that highlights that perfect justice is not obtainable by man, because even he points out that, you know, you can't get perfect justice without sacrificing liberty. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to find this happy medium. But Madison specifically says justice is the end of government. It, it, that is saying that the purpose of gust- of government is to provide as close a realization of justice as it can for its citizens, right?
0: And I think that comes out just to interrupt and put some scripture in here. Yeah, sure. One of the passages in scripture that a lot of people who say we are not to, you know, rebel comes from Romans 13, and and I think that upholds, you know, this position. It yeah. says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval." And it goes on from there, but I think that kind of shores up what you were just saying about yeah. the, the yeah. governmental justice.
1: That was one through three, right?
0: Yeah, one through three.
1: The important part is that justice isn't just about the government. We all have a personal requirement to be just in our actions. Micah 6.8 has mankind. He has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with your God. And this is one of my favorite uh, favorite mm-hmm. verses. It, it hangs on my wall.
0: I want to sing it every time I hear it.
1: For us to act justly is to basically embody fairness in a way that glorifies Christ, right? Yeah. And that is almost as hard <laughs> as walking into the jaws of death. There are times when fairness will work very much against us mm-hmm. but you know it's what we're called to do
0: i mean it's like the, you know in the sermon on the mount where jesus was telling people you know that whole where the phrase go the extra mile came from is you know if they ask yeah. you to go one mile go with them too and if they want your tunic give them their your cloak as well this is that unbelievably selfless kindness and courtesy that is supposed to come out of us even when we are oppressed. Mm-hmm. Because because that statement that was all oppression. That was, you know, the Romans were allowed to indenture anybody they saw to carry their Yeah. to carry their things for a mile.
1: Any right. citizen or less of the right. of the empire.
0: So that was oppression and yet Jesus said you take that obligation to your oppressor and you do the extra. Mhm. You don't just give what they demand, you give extra. And boy, is that hard. <laughs> you want to fight, you want to rebel, but God says, give to them extra. Whatever they ask, yeah. do extra.
1: And Paul, Paul even breaks it down uh, further in Romans 12. He says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says mm-hmm. the Lord. And then Paul takes Christ's message. From the Sermon on the Mountain, and he he explains it even more thoroughly. He says, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you'll be heaping fiery coals on his head, which is, uh, you know, hyperbolic, right? Yeah.
0: It's vengeance out of being kind.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Really. It's you'll make him scratch his head and go, What is it that makes him different? Yeah. Yeah, it's, vengeance really, uh, that was Romans twelve nineteen through 20, but he references back to Deuteronomy thirty two thirty five, 35, where God says, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. In time, their foot will slip, for the day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly.
0: Yeah, and I think that it that also reminds us that we should not be... Looking at our pressers as people, you know, it's like uh, I heard some commentator uh, speak, speaking about the election that the Republicans were so upset, even though they didn't actually do that badly. I mean, it wasn't the red wave that was predicted, right. but it looks like the Republicans will take the House of Representatives. But yet Republicans are mad because they didn't get the vengeance they wanted. They, didn't, they wanted the world to yep. bleed, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's like that is something that. We should never want of our enemies. We shouldn't want vengeance on them. We should want them in heaven with us. We should love them enough to see past the harm and see past the wrong and the injustices and love them enough to speak the gospel into their lives so that they will have eternity with us and not go to hell. I mean – we keep saying again, this is hard. We're talking about hard stuff here.
1: Yeah, no argument. Yeah. You know, um, I had mentioned that uh, on a personal level, justice is about being fair. And I was a little surprised mm-hmm. to find Leviticus 19.15, where it says, do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. And the the part that caught my interest was do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Because it's –
0: Yeah, you bestow justice equally. I think sometimes we think the poor are oppressed and therefore should deserve special –
1: it's like affirmative action right. sort of yeah but, or like you, uh, you
0: take somebody who steals bread because they're hungry and and you let them off yeah. and it's like but they're still a thief it's
1: like grading on a curve right yeah because they're poor that they they deserve to be better compensated or rated better or, or they're not like expected
0: that. to behave in the same way as other people mhm that they're not that they're not held accountable for the laws they break, or whatever, because of their circumstances, which is basically what they're saying is you don't take their circumstances into consideration. You know, if they break the law, they break the law, and
1: yeah,
0: that sh- that's that's the law system that should be just.
1: Yeah, it, it it really is based on a a foundation of truth. Right. You can't be fair and just unless you are acting on one hundred percent truth. Mm-hmm. That's where we find our call as Christians for justice is we plant our feet on the truth of the word of God and we seek fairness in that truth. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, like it's not always easy. <laughs> nope. Very hard. So the important part is that true justice is is something in which we should delight. Mm-hmm. It is of God, and even though we can't see it, we can't implement it.
0: You can't even understand it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no good. We can't be grasping it. Yeah. Hey. It's something in which we should take joy, and and uh, Proverbs twenty one, fifteen really lays it out nice and succinct. Justice executed is a joy to the righteous but a terror to the evildoers. And this one in particular seems to apply to Black Adam because it's the bad guys who are the ones who are constantly screaming.
0: Yeah. I mean, it it seems like he was doing good. It was just that he was doing good in a very absolute and and final way. Yeah. Yeah. The next two topics are going to just be quick footnotes to this, but before we uh, mm-hmm. move into those, I do want to remind you that you can connect with us by subscribing and rating and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts actually has a subscription, rate and review section. Uh, not all of like not all of them do, yeah. but we do appreciate not only the reviews, but we would love for you to share our podcast with other people. If you're involved in social media and you see we come out with a new episode, if you could share that episode do the advertising for us because we do not advertise. It's not in our budget right now. Mm. We would love to expand our listener base, not so much because, you know, they are potential, you know, donors or whatever, but more because we we want this conversation to broaden. We want people to join us in Discord. We want people to start a conversation that has impact beyond, you know, these podcast episodes. So please share, invite people to the Discord server get people involved in the discussion, because I think especially nowadays with Hollywood becoming so woke, and I know you don't like that word, but that's, that's really what it is. It's like, there's so much intersectionality coming in and and political and social commentary is ripe in everything we watch. Mm. And it really means so much as Christians, you know, if we're going to be imbibing this stuff, we really need to be helping each other be critical in the way that we view our entertainment. And so that's what this podcast is about. We would love to have more input from our listeners as to what they want to hear from us. We want those reviews. We want that recommendations and stuff. So please share us. Join our Facebook discussion group, though we're not as active in Facebook these days. If you really want to get in touch with us, the Discord community is where to do that. You can get to uh, Facebook by going to com slash community. And you can get an invitation to our Discord server by going to com slash discord. So anyway, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for those of us who've joined us in Discord. They've now added a forum option so we can start a forum in there where we can actually divide things up by topic and and have discussions going on. We don't have a real active group right now, but if there are things you want to talk about, like we could start a forum discussion group just on Marvel and and talk about some of the Marvel movies or just on DC or on Daily Wire or whatever we want to talk about. So we'd love to have you join Mm -hmm. us and, and get involved in the discussion. All right, so the next two topics kind of really are spinoffs or footnotes to our very lengthy discussion we just had on Justice. I had kind of noted that there is this really thin line between hero and villain. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, Teth Adam is never – actually, he says several times, I'm not a hero. I never said I was a hero. And it isn't until we get towards the end of the movie that we find out that it was his son who was the hero, and he was just the the angered vengeance who – was reciprocating for his son's death. So he's having to go through a bit of a hero's journey in the movie where he's, he's got this young Mm -hmm. kid who is just believing that he's a hero and kind of, you know, the circumstances in which he's awakened kind of forces him to protect these people who need his help. And so he's kind of has to step out of the vengeance and step into the role of protector, if not a hero And so he kind of goes through a transition as a character, you know, stepping from uh, what he was 5,000 years ago, while at the same time, he has the Justice League treating him like a villain. And so he's having to defend himself and and become a team player, which is not in his nature. And there was actually a, a funny line in there where he says something about being a team player and... Dr. Fate recognizes that as sarcasm. So, not that really Teth Adam really understands what sarcasm is. He misuses it quite frequently, which is part of the humor. But this is all just a reminder that as humans, we're all fallen. There is no such thing as a good person. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of funny. It's fallen into our vernacular when somebody asks us how you're doing, that instead of saying we're fine, we say we're good. And... I think about that. It's like it's part of our vernacular now everybody says it, but it's like every time somebody asks me, you know, how are you and I'm good is the answer I'm like oh wait a minute. No one's good, but god, I can't say <laughs> I'm good. And, and of course we mean good in a different way. We mean good in a completely different way, but that's part of the the nastiness of of the English language is that the word good can mean multiple things. There's a spectrum of mm-hmm. of the word good just like there's a lots of spectrums to words in English all depending on context so but yeah. i digress but as we think about that we are all sinners there's no such thing as heroes and and as we've been saying under the justice uh discussion there really is no such thing as villains either it's like we're all dirty rotten sinners so you know trying to divide us into groups of good people versus bad people or you know why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people and all of that is and god's eyes we're all villains we're all bad guys mm-hmm. and so that's that thin line i guess between hero and villain yeah and the reminder of course in the verse we use a lot is uh, jeremiah 17:9 <laughs> the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable who can understand it and it's like that whole let's be guided by our heart and be good you know yeah. Our heart will always lead us astray and will always be bad.
1: Yeah, you I, I sort of feel like the movie presents a, a viewpoint that if you are superpowered, you must be a hero or you are a villain, one or the other for us or against us. Yeah. yeah. And that feeds into the next topic. Hawkman's black and white worldview. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Huckman has a bit of a black and white worldview. And as we've already discussed multiple times, I don't want to belabor the point, but he he does just leap to the conclusion that because Teth Adam is killing people, therefore he must be bad. There's a quote, he says, heroes don't kill people. And Black Adam says, well, I do. And then they also call Black Adam a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> he's not some dude. <laughs> so he's kind of got this very strict... I guess, code of conduct on which he believes that heroes operate within, which I actually think is kind of funny because the whole time they're battling out, especially the first time they try and stop Teth Adam, they're in the middle of the city and they're like throwing cars and, and stomping through the middle of buildings and, you know, blowing things apart and it's yeah. like how much collateral damage was going on just from their <laughs> attempt to take down Teth Adam, and how many people were injured and possibly even killed? You never see, yeah, you know the people that were in the car, the people that were in the building when it you know it's like you just assume they somehow got away. I don't think so,
1: right, magically, yeah,
0: <laughs> so it's like you know this this idea that yes, you don't kill the villain, you capture him or whatever. But I don't think that Hawkman has a sustainable worldview. Let's put it that way. It's just too, <laughs> it's too strict one way or the other. But yeah, I, I think it's going to come back a little bit to our previous discussion. So when we were talking about yeah. see how they run, the young constable was always mm-hmm. jumping to conclusions about people, you know, just rushing to judgment about whether they were guilty or not. And I think that we're seeing very much the same thing with Hawkman. It's like almost like a very, Uninformed, innocent, maybe naive naive way of judging people. It's like not seeing the shades of gray that comes in people's behaviors and and reactions to events or whatever. so
1: mm-hmm. yeah I
0: brought up the same verse that we brought up and see how they run is Matthew seven one through two do not judge so that you won't be judged for you will be judged by the same standard. With which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. So this very strict black and white worldview that Hawkman has, he's setting up a judgment that's pointing at him him as much as it's pointing at anybody else. And that's a really hard way to live. And I don't know enough about the character to know whether or not he's ever killed somebody by impromptu purpose or by accident. But with the kind of power he has, it would be very easy to do. And so yeah, I I don't know. I I guess possibly he's self-examined enough to know that he's that he can hold that standard himself so that he can then apply it to others, but it that's the danger that mm-hmm. we have as as judgmental Christians especially that you know that we always be careful to not judge others for the same problems that we ourselves have. So there's that.
1: No argument there.
0: And And then, of course, the other one that I thought of in that, and, you know, obviously to support the argument that we're all fallen, that we're all sinners, and that we are all living in that shades of gray on, this, on the black side of the roster, and nobody's on the white side, is the Romans three twenty two through 24. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we talked about that a lot in our previous themes, especially the justice one, yeah. that we are completely dirty, rotten sinners. We deserve God's yeah. judgment. And the only reason that we do not get that through God's – because God is just, he must punish sin. The only reason why we don't face that punishment is because Christ already suffered that punishment for it on our behalf. So. Yep. Before we finalize our thoughts, you can share your feedback, as I mentioned before. We do have our communities. You can also comment on the show notes, which will be for this episode at areyoujustwatching.com slash 135. You can call us at 513-818-2959, and that is either to leave us a message or to send a text. You can text that number as well. You can email feedback at com. We invite your input. If if we've said things that you have additional thoughts thoughts on, we would love to hear it. We're not like a live stream on YouTube where we can do super chats or something, but that feedback is valuable and you don't even have to give us money to send it. So go ahead, give us feedback on what you've heard us discuss, uh, share additional thoughts. We'd love to, to hear from you. Okay, so the last couple little things that I wanted to talk about was I guess, the role of children in this movie, because there are two little boys in this movie separated by 5,000 years. Yeah. So, Teth Adams' son, whose name was Haruk, he had a very interesting way of viewing the oppression that his people were under. It was not so much this, I need to fight. It was more of, I will do whatever it takes to be free. And, he stood up for a fellow slave, he kept them Mm -hmm. from fighting amongst themselves because they had a common enemy. And then he, he did the impossible and and became a hero because of it, a champion. He was a good kid. And I think that a lot of times that innocence of children we overlook, but Jesus didn't. You know, that was the surprising thing is that he saw how valuable the innocence of children were. And, there, you know, children yeah. sometimes see things so much more clearly than adults do. We have our, our thinking tainted by years of experience, and they're so open-minded, and minded, so ready to experience and understand and question and and look for answers. And I think that we sometimes miss that innocence
1: which is not to say that they are sinless because no. children can be very very selfish and mean yeah. and yeah even even at the very youngest ages
0: yeah and and i think that, that that's the balance here right so right. so we have harut who his father uh, was actually cautioning him and and counseling him to not get involved. That You know, the graveyards are full of heroes. You know, this is not mm-hmm. what I want you to do because I want you to be safe and I want to take care of you. And then we see the same thing from Amon, who is the son of the activist who is attempting to relocate the crown before it falls into the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where he kind of interposes himself to try and help her get out, get through a checkpoint. And then he's like, you know, mom, I want to come with you. And she's like, no, you're going to go home and be safe while I take care of this. And yet he becomes an integral part in helping to guide Teth Adam into a more moderate way um, of, of being a protector. I think he helped him see the humor in his power and helped him be a little bit of a father figure that he couldn't be anymore because he lost his son. I think that that kind of played to his need to be a father in, in a way. Yeah. And so, all in all, I think that, you know, the, the two boys in this movie were very powerful characters. And one of the more humorous lines or exchanges in the movie was after Teth Adam woke up um in... Amon's bedroom. And Amon is already talking to him and, and telling him how much they need him because the inner gang is oppressive and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, his mom, Adriana steps in and says, I, I would appreciate that you not be teaching my son violence. And Teth Adams says, mm-hmm. you want his father to teach him violence? And he has to she has to admit, you know, his father's dead. And then Teth Adam's like, I'm sorry, then who do you want to teach him violence then? So it's like, this is something that he needs to learn. Why isn't his father teaching him violence? Yeah. And I thought that was humorous because Teth Adam, as we discover later on, is the father who was cautioning his son not to be violent. So it's kind of this yeah. contradiction.
1: You know, it's I, I almost feel like that was intentional wordplay where violence – in ancient Kandak would have been the a synonym for strength.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: It, you know, who do you want to teach him strength? Right. So.
0: And that is the it, role of father. It makes the a, father. a little
1: bit more sense yeah. that way. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, that's interesting because, you know, she's a single mom. His father's dead and you really see amon really latch on to teth adam almost as if he is a father figure and and i think mm-hmm. that we see that a lot in young men especially in our culture today so many raised in single parent households usually the mother with an absent father is they desperately need that fatherly input they need a father to teach them to respect mm-hmm. women they need a father that that teaches them when To be violent and when not to be violent, when to be respectful, how to control their hormones, because as we all know, little boys really struggle with that. They need that father figure. And I think that really comes out in this movie that it's not about teaching the children violence. It's it's about having that father figure to teach the children, to teach their sons. And Mm – So, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. Bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Start a youth out on his way. Even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. So, yeah, there's this this feeling that somebody needs to be teaching the children. right? And I think we're – I'm going to get political for just a minute. I'm going to try and not do it in a bad way. But we need fathers to be teaching their Mm -hmm. sons because – if we rely on our culture, our society, our schools and our government to teach our sons, it's going to either emasculate them or it's going to turn them into criminals. And we have to have fathers present. And, and if you're a single mom who, um, you know, has been divorced or lost, you know, lost your husband to death or whatever, it's okay to seek men to be fathers to your son who you're not going to invite into marriage. It doesn't mean you have to get remarried right. to have a father for your son. There are spiritual leaders in your church that can uh, mentor and disciple your boys in the right way. And in the, in the admonition of the Lord, you don't necessarily have to remarry. If that is, it is a hole in your life that prevents you for whatever reason from being filled. Your sons still need a male figure in their life to to help them deal with their maleness. (laughs) But anyway... That just to say, and, and to conclude this topic, I did want to bring up uh, Mark 10, 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to him, uh, Jesus, in order that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and bless them as a childless woman hmm. i'm admonishing you to not keep your children from god to, that they need fatherly instruction and they most of all need a relationship with christ and this world will always fail your boys well, especially your boys your girls too I,
1: I i'm sorry Eve, but you're wrong it it's not you that a childless woman admonishing us to do that it's you pointing it god. to god's word <laughs> yeah
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. If you have seen Black Adam and made it all the way to the end of this episode, we really would appreciate any further thoughts that you have into themes of the movie. That's you know i think if we had had the chance to watch this on dvd and really take it apart we probably could have done a two-part right there actually is a lot in this movie (laughs) we'll announce on our discord and on facebook what movie we will be reviewing for december so keep an eye out for that and and join us then and i hope you all have a blessed thanksgiving uh if we don't have this episode out before thanksgiving we just pray that you will be expressed not just general thanks and enjoyment of family, but that you will recognize God as the giver of all good things and give him the praise and glory that he deserves for that. And with that, thank you for listening. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin. And And Don't don't Just watch. Watch.
0: The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org, one stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts, christianpodcastcommunity.org.